Hello, and welcome to the Fourth Trimester Postpartum Stories Podcast. I'm Marcy Coleman, and I am holding space for newly postpartum parents to share their journeys. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. Today, we have with us Kayla George. So welcome, Kayla. Would you please tell us a little bit about you and your family? Sure. My name is Kayla George. I live in Kansas City, Missouri with my husband, Derek our two cats, and our six-month-old son, Dash. I am a data analyst at an insurance broker, and Derek is a pharmacist. And we've been together for about eight years and married for about four. When you were pregnant with Dash, what type of birth were you planning or hoping for? And then how did your birth experience end up? I was planning an unmedicated vaginal birth. Um, and ended up having a C-section after a failed ECV for a surprise breach. So very different from the plan. Okay. So now you've had the baby. Why don't you tell me a little bit about those first few hours? I guess you can start in the operating room. Sure. So I physically had a very difficult pregnancy. Um, So... The first two things that I thought of when I first saw my son while I was laying on the operating table was, oh my gosh, he looks exactly like my dad. And then the second thought that crossed my mind was just sheer relief that it was finally over, um, which is such a silly thought because it absolutely was not over. (laughs) The hardest is yet to come by far. And, you know, I kind of felt a little bit guilty about that as well because I was just so ready for the pregnancy to be over that, and the birth was just not going as I had anticipated. So that was really tough to come to terms with while, while still being on the operating table. And then um, we got to do skin to skin almost immediately. They stitched me up. I was really nervous about having the surgery when I was awake, but it ended up being not so bad, and they're very easily distracted when there's a newborn baby on your chest. So they <laughs> rolled me back to recovery, and I was bleeding quite a bit. My teeth were chattering. I made my husband really, really nervous. We initiated breastfeeding, and he lat- latched almost immediately. And once my bleeding was under control, they moved me to the postpartum ward. And you know, I my first mistake was not reading all the C-section parts of the preparing for birth books. I, I would definitely recommend that anyone, even if you're planning an unmedicated birth, to definitely check out the C-section because you don't necessarily know how everything's going to go. Um, but one thing that I didn't know is that babies who are born via C-section, they do a lot of vomiting of the amniotic fluid the first 24 hours of their life. Um, So that was really tough for my husband to deal with. And then um, I would be laying in my hospital bed with my leg compressors, squeezing every 15 seconds and made it very difficult to to sleep the first first night. And Derek did absolutely everything the first 24 hours because, I don't know, I was was completely useless. But he was absolutely incredible. He's been incredible through this entire experience, but particularly in the hospital. We started having breastfeeding issues almost immediately. 
Um, I would be triple feeding at the hospital. So we would breastfeed and then I would pump and then we would feed, bottle feed. I bottle feed, I put in quotation marks because it was just colostrum. It was just a tiny little dropper of colostrum. Um, what we had just pumped. My big guy, he he was very large. He was eight pounds when he was born. I am not a large person. Um, I was quite petite. So I still, to this day, don't believe how I created such a large child. But from the very beginning, he would cry from hunger a lot. Like he would be inconsolable. And, you know, they say that the colostrum is enough, but I don't know. We just had this gut feeling that he was just not getting enough to eat. Um, So we started supplementing when we were in the hospital. So each feeding session, which was approximately every two hours, would go breastfeeding, pumping, bottle feed, formula. So (laughs) feeding was, was a challenge. And we went through that. And then even the second night, I couldn't get much sleep because I was still on such an adrenaline high. And I had the opportunity to sleep a few times and I just, I physically couldn't get my body to shut down to sleep. I have really good insurance. So I got to stay in the hospital for four nights, um, which we took full advantage of. And by that fourth night, I was completely exhausted. I had hardly slept and I was absolutely terrified to go home. Still recovering from the surgery, I could barely walk. And I just, I didn't know if we, if we physically could take care of this, this baby and keep doing everything that we have been doing. And then in comes this angel of a charge nurse and she helped us make a plan to get as much sleep as possible. The last night we were in the hospital and I must have gotten five or six hours of sleep that night. And it was exactly, exactly what we needed. So as we were leaving on that fifth day, one of the nurses casually mentioned as we were like leaving that we should get our son's hips checked since he was breech. It was kind of offhand and we didn't really think too much of it. But when we took him to his two-week checkup, the pediatrician did set up an opportunity for us to get his hips ultrasound done. At home, the breastfeeding struggles continued. Um, we were bottle feeding, we're supplementing with formula almost every single feeding. Um, and my, I don't feel like my milk fully came in until about 11 days after he was born. I never experienced engorgement or anything like that, like a sudden incoming of milk. But by day 11, I feel like I was producing probably about 75 to 80% of what he was eating. And about three days after we got home, we found out that the freezer full of prepared food that I had done while I was nesting and pregnant, um, our freezer had gone out and flipped a breaker. So that was that was the first panic attack that I had. I I it was so much food. It was days and days, probably weeks worth of food in our freezer that just went bad. I had a legitimate panic attack. And every single day as the sun would go down and the shadows in my house would get long, um, I just had this pit of anxiety in my stomach and this pain in my chest, this tightness of just 
what is the night going to bring? And are we going to be able to handle it? Are, am I going to get to sleep? At 10 days postpartum, I had an incision check um, with my OB. Um, and at that appointment, I was diagnosed with postpartum anxiety and postpartum depression. It was, it was really, really tough. I, I remember genuinely believing that I had ruined our lives by having this child. And I, I genuinely believed that for, I don't know, maybe the first month of his life, you know, which I obviously do not believe now. And I, I love that son, my son, more than anything in the entire world. And he's absolutely incredible. And I would not change anything about how anything has happened. But it was, it was really tough for me mentally. I think it was a little bit of disappointment from the birth. And on top of that, I had guilt about him being breech. During my pregnancy, I had, towards the beginning of the third trimester, I had casually brought up to my OB that I thought he was breech. And my OB kind of dismissed it and never checked. So at my 39-week appointment, when we found out he was breech, it was very disappointing. And his other health issues that we'll talk about in a little while, I think I, I feel like that maybe I could have done something differently if I had somehow been able to flip him, then maybe he wouldn't have the issues that he does. Um, so there is a lot of guilt there. So my doctor prescribed Zoloft, which I started taking and I'm still taking six months postpartum. I started feeling relief from the physical anxiety about a week after I started taking it, uh, which is very quickly. Um, but I would say that I felt more free from the general depression probably about two months after I started taking the, the medication. In the first couple of weeks of his life, I was tracking his feedings very, very diligently. Like I was writing down every single day exactly when he ate, if we breastfed, how long we breastfed, how many ounces of formula we supplemented, um, trying to track everything to see how he was growing and to make sure that we just, we were getting him exactly what he needed. And we we're trying to track that so that we could get enough sleep as well. And that was super, super stressful. And I'm kind of the, I'm a, the type of person that makes lists and makes plans. So we didn't really have a plan for this, this feeding. The plan that we had was just to breastfeed and I thought it'd be a lot easier than it was. But I did have a lot of supply issues that, that made that pretty tough. Um, my son was a very noisy sleeper. He was a very, very grunty newborn. He would, even if he was sleeping in his bassinet in our room, like he would be grunting. And we just kept thinking like, why is he awake? How is he awake? And, you know, knowing what we know now, he definitely wasn't awake. He was just a noisy sleeper. So at his two-week checkup, we, uh, he was back above birth weight. So at that point, for my husband's and my sanity, we moved him out of our bedroom and into his own crib in his own room um, so that we could get better sleep and um, still make sure that we could, we could hear him when, when he needed us. Um, it was at that appointment that our pediatrician wrote orders to get his get an ultrasound on his hips. And during this time, my mother-in-law um, came to stay with us. She was such a help, such a big help. 
you know, when you're in that sleep deprived state, when you're in that, those first couple weeks, you just don't have the mental capacity to problem solve. You cannot think critically. It was really helpful to have that outside perspective. And she helped us really work on his reverse cycling because he was sleeping more during the day than at night. So, you know, from my perspective, my postpartum depression, I was just, you know, this is my life now. We're just never going to sleep. And this is just how it is. And getting her in here and just being like, we can do something about this was so helpful and so enlightening. At this point, I could walk around our cul-de-sac about once every other day. And I remember the days in between those those walks. It just felt like someone hit me in the stomach with a baseball bat. The, the physical recovery from the C-section was very, very intense. And it was definitely weeks before I was comfortable bending over or you know, doing very, very simple things like chores or going on short walks. And then at around three weeks postpartum, the breastfeeding was still rough. Um, it was so, so painful. And I dreaded every single feeding. And, you know, my husband is is so supportive in every decision that I wanted to make regarding my body. And I looked at him and I said, I just, I just want to pump exclusively. I can't, I can't breastfeed anymore. And I remember crying tears of relief um, because I feel like that was the first choice that I got to make um, in the entire birth and postpartum process. It was such a relief just to finally let go of that, that challenge and take control in my perspective, taking control of, of the feedings and, you know, sharing the burden a little bit because I could pump the breast milk and Derek could, could feed Dash while, while I just sit there occasionally. So that's what we did going forward. And um, I did still breastfeed overnight for like just the ease of it. My nipples getting a break during the day uh, made the breastfeeding at night not painful. So that was uh, super helpful. And then my husband had four weeks of, of paternity leave. So the last week of his leave, we decided to do some like power pumping to try to increase my supply. So I would pump every hour during the day for about eight hours. And I did that for a week straight. Um, and honestly, I didn't really see any change in my supply, which was really disheartening. We we're still supplementing with quite a bit of formula, probably about between 50 and 25 to 50% was formula at that point. And again, I was terrified to be left alone with my own son the first day that my husband went back to work, which, you know, we did just fine. And some days were definitely hard, but, you know, we got into a groove and it was definitely manageable. I took over all the night feedings because I was still breastfeeding and I wanted my husband to get plenty of sleep when he had to work. And he would get up, Dash would wake up twice a night to eat starting at about four weeks. And so that was super manageable. And we were doing really well with the sleeping and the feeding. And then at about six weeks postpartum, we had Dash's first hip ultrasound, uh, which came back inconclusive. They just, his hips were not developed enough for them to read whether they were in the correct place or not. Um, and then by about two months postpartum, I was out walking at the park. Um, I was starting to enjoy being a mom. 
I remember very vividly the day that I I felt love for my son for the first time. And I know a lot of lucky women who get that experience in the delivery room, but for me, it took a lot longer and it's such a fond memory of mine. I, I can't even explain um, how much joy it brings me to remember that moment. Then at around 12 weeks postpartum, I was pumping five times a day on top of the two overnight breastfeeding sessions. Um, and we took my son to his follow-up ultrasound, at which point he was diagnosed with developmental dysplasia of the hip on his left side. Um, we were referred to a pedi- pediatric orthopedic surgeon, which sounds terrifying. Um, you're taking your three-month-old baby to a surgeon. But on the day that I went back to work, after my maternity leave ended, Dash was put in a Pavlik harness that he was going to need to wear 24-7 for six weeks. Um, we got to take him out for about 15 minutes every day to bathe him and change his clothes, um, but the rest of the time was in the harness. Um, and that first night that he was in the harness was uh, worse than our first night home from the hospital. It was absolutely horrible. Um, There's nothing Dash could do that would console him. Um, he was just super uncomfortable, and it, it was it was awful. I if if you ever look up what a pavlik harness looks like and what a baby looks like in the harness, it's it's very difficult to breastfeed um, in one. And so, the first night that he was in the harness, I didn't get to breastfeed him, and I mean, for the the whole breastfeeding journey that I had. And how difficult it was, I was kind of disappointed that it ended so abruptly. I didn't realize that I was not going to be able to to breastfeed him. And it just it just ended all of a sudden, which was a little disappointing, but at the same time, a little bit more freeing. Every time that you take one step away from breastfeeding, it's it's just a little bit more freeing. So instead of breastfeeding him overnight, my husband and I each were able to give him one bottle of formula. At his two different feedings. And then in addition to that, I would pump once overnight as well. So I was up to pumping six times a day at that point. But you know, after the first 24 hours in the harness, Dash had had adjusted and he was back to his smiley self and he hardly even noticed that the, the harness was there. You know, he he really, really inspired my husband and I with his his resilience he it didn't let it face him at all and you know he's it is it guess it's just going to show how how much when he grows how special he's going to be and you know we figured things out it's it's hard to change the diaper with the harness on it's hard to find clothes that go with the harness it's just there's a lot of logistic things that make the harness made difficult and you know, we figured it out as we went. And um, his next ultrasound after six weeks, it j- it wasn't good enough. Um, his hips still weren't where they needed to be. And Derek and I were just absolutely devastated. We felt like he was missing out on, on his life. You know, he was falling behind on milestones. He couldn't roll over. He couldn't sit assisted. He couldn't sleep train. He couldn't do any of these things that babies his age should at least be trying to do because he was trying to heal his hips. 
So it was really disappointing when we got that news. And at that point, he had been in the harness for a third of his life, which is just crazy. So the doctor told us to stay in the harness 24-7 for another four weeks, um, which we did. And then we finally got the go-ahead to take him out of the harness at during the day. And we'd wean out of the harness, leaving him in it at night. And ever since then, I think we took him out of the harness. And five days after that, he started rolling from back to front. So he wasted no time <laughs> getting there and, and being a normal baby. And at this point, we have weaned wearing the harness at night as well. And, you know, he can sit up assisted and he sleeps through the night now. So it's it's been so wonderful to get to see him, you know, become a, a normal baby again. And he's started, he's just started now in six months old, he has just started physical therapy for some tightness in his neck and the range of motion in his hips that the harness inhibited for a long time. So it's still a work in progress, but he is definitely in a much better place than he was when he was born. Um, And as for the exclusive pumping, I started weaning um, shortly after Dash turned four months old because I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't handle it. And I, I mean, I, it was a pretty slow process. Now we're over six months, about six and a half months postpartum, and I'm just down to one one time a day in the evenings. And you know, we're getting really close to completely weaning. And um, I have a fair amount of milk frozen just because I wanted to have breast milk to give Dash at least once a day until he was about nine months old. Um, so I saved some just to keep that going. So he'll continue to get at least a little bit of breast milk through the rest or for the next three months. And yeah, just really looking forward to what comes next. So you mentioned that you went back to work about three months postpartum. How has that transition been? Yeah, going back to work. It was the same exact time that Dasha was going into the pelvic harness. And I remember thinking at the time that it was just, it was absolutely inhumane that our country makes women go back to work at 12 weeks. And I know it's 12 weeks is a long time. I was very lucky to have, to have that much, but it was, it was a very tough, I definitely contemplated dropping down to part-time, um, especially at the beginning when we didn't know what it would be like to have Dash in the pelvic harness. It was a very unsure time. And, you know, I did stay on full-time and, you know, everything now is, is great. And I'm not even considering dropping part-time, but that transition was as tough. And I'm lucky enough to be able to work from home um, at least until the pandemic ends, ends in quotation marks, whenever that will be. And that made the transition a lot easier. Like I don't have to get myself together and rush out the door and commute. I get to drive Dasha daycare and come home and make myself a cup of coffee and sit down at my desk in my sweatpants. So um, that definitely made the transition a lot easier. And, you know, I thought it would be harder to be away from him during the day. But honestly, for me, it it works really well because we get plenty of updates from our daycare. We absolutely love our daycare center and they are absolutely great with him. And they did super well with him in the harness and the teachers really, really care about him. So 
that makes that makes it a lot easier to go back to work um, when you have that that confidence in in the caregivers. Were there any postpartum anxiety or postpartum depression resources that you found that you found helpful? I didn't do any talk therapy. I what I did is when I went to my doctor and I I told them that I was not feeling well. I just knew that I didn't have to feel this way. I knew that how, how I was feeling and I knew that not everyone felt that way. So I knew that there were other options. Um, so I don't have a ton of resources for the postpartum depression or anxiety other than just recommending that to, to ask for help and know that it's, it happens to a lot of people and you don't have to feel that way. It's, it's so important to hear that you hear about the baby blues all the time and sometimes they're more intense than that and in, you don't have to suffer. Well, thank you for coming on and sharing your story. Our listeners can connect with you on the Facebook group. Is there anywhere else that they can find you? Yes, I am also on Instagram. Um, my handle is a little complicated, so you can just put it in the notes page. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. In this episode, Kayla discussed hip dysplasia. This is a condition in which the hip socket doesn't fully cover the ball portion of the upper thigh bone, which allows the hip joint to become partially or completely dislocated. While the cause of hip dysplasia is unknown, it is more common in babies who present as breach at birth. You can find more information at the International Hip Dysplasia Institute website, which you can find on the show notes page. If you would like to continue the conversation, please join us at the fourth trimester postpartum stories podcast group on Facebook. All of our guests are there and we are discussing all things postpartum. I look forward to sharing another story with you next week. If you would like to share your postpartum experience, you can find the submission link in the Facebook group, as well as on my page, fourth trimester postpartum.